Hello and welcome to the How CMOs Commit podcast. I'm Margaret Malloy, Global Chief Marketing Officer of Siegel & Gale. This is a podcast to explore how the world's top CMOs are building their brands and the professional commitments they are making as leaders. From the decisions facing CMOs to the commitments they are forging, the conversations are uniquely vulnerable and strategic. Please be sure to listen to the end when I provide my reflections. This is how CMOs commit. Hello and welcome to the Siegel & Gale Future of Branding Roundtable. Every episode, we meet a panel of marketing leaders live to explore how you are building your brands. I'm your host, Margaret Malloy, Global Chief Marketing Officer of Siegel & Gale. Siegel & Gale is a preeminent brand strategy, design and experience firm. Continuing our inclusive storytelling series, I am honored to welcome you to our AAPI Heritage Month episode. Let's set the stage. 22 million Asian Americans comprise 7% of the US population. Tracing their roots to more than two dozen countries, all with distinct cultures, Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders are the fastest growing minority in the United States. From a purely marketing perspective, this community has an expected purchasing power of $1.3 trillion by 2023. API business creation is remarkable also. In 2016, Asian-owned businesses employed more than 5 million workers in the US. And in 2017, there were almost 1 million API entrepreneurs in the US, mostly born abroad. Most important, on a human level, it's also crucial for us to acknowledge the significant increase in recent years in hate crimes and racist rhetoric impacting Asians and many communities across the United States. There's a lot here to unpack. And today, through the personal journeys and insights, we will celebrate six API individuals and explore how brands can engage the community. After the introductions, I will have one-on-one -on -one conversations with each speaker and then return to all for our commitments round. Friends, let's begin. As I introduce you, please answer the following question in one word. When you hear API Heritage Month, what word comes to mind? Let's please first go to San Francisco to greet Rich Narasaki, VP of Marketing at Carbon. Margaret, I would say for me, it's belonging. Belonging. Let's head to Los Altos, California to greet Kelly Liang, SVP of Partnerships at Discord. Hey, Margaret. Good word, Kelly. Hi. So, so my word is strength. Strength. Now we're going to Charlotte to greet Shiv Singh, Chief Marketing and Customer Experience Officer at LendingTree. Hi, Shiv. Hi, Margaret. Thank you for having me. My word is complicity. Complicity. 
Alex Ho is joining us from Cleveland, where he is the Chief Marketing Officer at Terminex. Hi, Alex. Hi, Margaret. Thanks for having me. My word is reflection. Reflection. Now, let's go to my neighbor in New York. Amy Leung is the Global Head of Digital and Demand Generation at Bank of New York Mellon. Hello, Amy. Hi, Margaret. My word is momentum. Momentum. And patiently waiting in also the Bay Area is Sun Sunil Rajaraman, VP of Marketing at GoodRx. Margaret, thanks for having me. My word is intensity. Intensity. Okay, I really look forward to unpacking these words. Rich, your first up. You said belonging. Tell us why. In order to explain it, I'll have to give you a little bit of background about myself. So I am half Japanese, half Chinese. I'm fourth generation Chinese and third generation Japanese. And for me, I've just seen different facets of discrimination that my family's gone through, whether it's like the Chinese Exclusion Act or the internment camps. And as a community and you know, for my family, it's always been about you know finding your place. And that's always you know really resonated with me, just understanding what my ancestors have gone through. So that's that's why that, that particular word really kind of means something to me. The other thing as well, too, is as I start to kind of translate this into, you know, where I am today and what I'm doing, funny enough, one of my first roles in my early career was doing, well, again, I'll, I'll kind of preface this. We called it ethnic marketing back then. I mean, this is when I worked for a, a large retail bank. I was recently told, wow, that's not very PC. I didn't even think about it. Uh, so now it's called uh, diversity marketing. But back then, it was actually uh, really eye-opening for me because it helped me to understand the value of advocating. And when I was doing uh, diversity marketing, it was really to the uh, Chinese, Vietnamese, and Korean communities that were uh, in America. And it, again, it just helped me to understand the importance of having companies that advocate for you, for your community, really understanding where you're coming from. And I've just seen some really great strides in terms of how businesses are you know, really moving the needle. And again, like I said, we called it something very different, which at that time was very progressive. And now yeah. I'm like, oh, wow, I guess it really wasn't. But, but again, just again, shows you how far it's come. Indeed. And I recall, we're dating ourselves now, Rich, you and I go back a long time. I recall multicultural marketing being the term du jour. So getting back specifically to the discussion around AAPI, I mentioned at the introduction that the spotlight has been on the community recently and particularly over the past couple of years. We're all marketers in the audience. What do marketers need to know about the community? I think it's understanding that it's not homogenous is one thing, because I think it's very easy to kind of say AAPI and then you think of it as a big block and a big set just realize that there's a lot of nuances um, and that you you can't, you know, really look at it. It's doing it a bit of a disservice. Uh, again, just from my limited scope, my Japanese background is very different from my perspective from my Chinese background. And I would not want somebody to say like, oh, they're all the same because they are very unique. What's That's, the difference, Rich? How is it different? I would say, actually, here, here is a really good example. I have an uncle who is a small business owner and he was telling me, what the difference that he saw. And he said, you know, when you have a, and I hope I'm not insulting anybody, but again, this is just like a, a personal proof point. He goes, when you have a, a Chinese customer, he goes, and they are unhappy. He goes, they will let you know. He goes, but they will come back to you. 
He goes, but if you have a Japanese customer and they're unhappy, he goes, they won't say anything, but he goes, you'll never see them again. And I was like, oh, that's actually very true. Cause I was thinking about my family and how one side of my family acts. And again, that's not saying that that's universal, but that was kind of just putting an emphasis in terms of just, you know, the way that, that people think and culturally it's just a little bit different. One is a little bit more advocates for itself and one is a little bit more passive perhaps. Again, I'm not saying that that's how sure. the entire thing works, but that, that kind of brought a very interesting point to me. And the other thing that I would say as well, too, is from my family's perspective, you know, from my father's side, having gone through what they went through in the camps, it was very much about assimilate. My father was bilingual, but he chose not to speak uh, Japanese to any of us. And so we, we couldn't speak the language versus on my mother's side, the Chinese side, it was about, you know, embracing your culture. And it's, it's a shame that you know, after four generations, I can't speak any Cantonese. So again, just very different perspectives. I touched on the beginning that racial hate, and there's so many tropes, bamboo ceiling, and, and so much more besides. Anything there that you would reflect on? It's a really interesting one. And I, I would say I still struggle with it a little bit today where my personal background is that I was brought up to be, you know, more modest and to not boast. And when I think about, you know, the fact that we work for, you know, Western-based society companies, in order to be successful, you do have to do a little bit of self-advocacy. And I think that that's something that I have not gotten completely comfortable with. And I would say that that's probably, for me, been one of the most challenging aspects is, you know, finding that balance between my personal values and my culture that I come from versus, you know, what does it take to be successful in, in, in your career? And it's something that I'm constantly kind of, you know, trying to figure out where's the right equilibrium. It's an extraordinary rich insight. Thank you for sharing that. Let's now move to carbon in particular, anything you're doing that's notable for AAPI month and perhaps more important than what you're doing, if you would share the insight behind the activity. Sure. So Carbon, it's, we are a, a small industrial 3D printing company. So again, you can think about B2C, B2B, we're B2I, I guess, which is industrial. So our markets are a little bit more unique and much more uh, segmented. A lot of what we're doing within our company is largely focused on employees. We're doing a series of employee awareness, uh, what's your story? We're doing excursions, like we're actually going up to uh, Chinatown, San Francisco later this week to do a, a field trip to the Chinese Historical Museum, which is a really nice thing. And I think what we're also trying to do is make sure that it is you know, really authentic, that it's not something that feels like it is a corporate mandate, that it's coming from our HR department. This is actually something that has been bubbling up through our employees and it's really employee led. And so because of that, it just feels much more authentic in terms of, you know, how we're kind of measuring success or, you know, um, what the impact is. I think what it's doing is that it's just creating a greater sense of community within the company. And what's also nice is that it's not just for people of AAPI descent. We probably have about a third of the people that belong to our ERG group that are outside of the community. Finally, Rich, you touched on the B2C, B2B, and B2I indeed. What would you say to someone who says, inclusive storytelling, that's fine for B2C companies, but it doesn't matter for us in the B2B world. Would you concur with that assessment or how would you balance it? 
as marketers, I, I, I assume all of my peers here would agree with me on this one, which is, you know, yes, while you are marketing to a, a company, there's always a face, there's always a human behind it. And it's really about creating human connections. It's human to human. And that's really what it's about. So I, I would say, uh, if somebody said that, I would say, you need to think again. Wonderful. Well, thank you for that, Rich. Now let's go to Kelly Liang, SVP of Partnerships at Discord. Discord is a voice, video, and text communication service where the world talks, hangs out, and builds relationships. Extraordinary entity with over 150 million global monthly active users. So Kelly, your word was strength. Tell me why. So before I jump in, I just want to Thank you and Rich for acknowledging that the AAPA diaspora in the US is truly multicultural. And of course, every community is unique with its own history. So there are, of course, a lot of commonalities between us, but we should also pause to celebrate the differences. So the reason the word strength comes to mind for me is that the broader AAPI community is just stronger when we stand together. It's both a fact, but also a call to action for all of us to continue to advocate to support each other. So panels like this one that you are bringing us together on really helps to amplify and bring awareness to these diverse stories. So I just want to say thank you, Margaret, to you and the rest of the Siegel and Gale team for having us here today to have this conversation. And thank you, Kelly, and everyone for your courage and generosity in joining us. So Kelly, you touched on stories. Tell mm -hmm. us about your journey. Okay, well, happy to. My family immigrated to the States when I was seven, and I grew up in the Midwest, both in Indiana and Michigan. And unfortunately, in my early childhood years, I lived through the terrifying experience of being bullied by neighborhood kids and, and at school. So there's honestly a lot of residual fear and scar tissue from, from those experiences. And as a kid, um, my natural defense mechanism was to just do everything I can not to stick out. So to assimilate as much as possible so I wouldn't be bullied again or be noticed for, for being different. And um, as a result, there was a period in my life where taking up a cause to bring attention to my Asian American identity, like doing this panel, was really uncomfortable and forced me to confront some of that very deeply rooted childhood fears. Now that said, all those experiences have really shaped me to become who I am today and have helped me to embrace one of these quotes that I try to live by. It's one of my favorite quotes, in fact. And it's, staying in your comfort zone doesn't make your world safe, it makes your world small. And so over the years, I have learned to say yes to what might seem scary or something I've never done before. So whether it's a career pivot, a new social situation, or stretching for that next role. And uh, for me personally, I've always found that pushing myself out of that comfort zone has led to tremendous professional and personal growth. Thank you for that, Kelly. You mentioned career pivots, and I know you've had an extraordinary mm -hmm. career to date, working as long as I've known you, which is more than 20 years now. Yes, it has been in, over 20 years. In technology, you've spent a lot of your time in technology. I, I referenced uh, entrepreneurship and the API community at our introduction. Uh, what do we need to know there? Any insights you would share from your experience working in technology? Yep, so I've lived in um, Silicon Valley now here uh, uh, over the last 22 years. And I really am inspired by all of the amazing entrepreneurs that I've had the privilege to work with and to meet, many of whom, of course, are 
of Asian descent. And as many of you know, some of the most well-recognized brands and beloved brands in our lives today, from like YouTube to DoorDash, Zoom, Peloton, Zappos, were actually all started by AAPI founders. Mm -hmm. um, but entrepreneurship, AAPI entrepreneurship doesn't exist just in tech. So you mentioned before, Asians represent about 7% of the US population, but over 10% of small businesses also in the US are also Asian owned. And um, personally, I've loved seeing an increase in AAPI, the presence of AAPI artists and creators in the media, entertainment, and music industries as well. So I've met some amazing authors and producers and musicians, all of whom are talented entrepreneurs sort of in their own right. And, um, and a credit to their incredible talents, they're now bringing and weaving the AAPI voice and identities into mainstream media and helping to bring so much surprise and delight into our daily lives via their work. Remarkable indeed. And I touched with Rich on some of the tropes, I guess, around model yeah. minority and other associations. What's your reaction to that personally and frankly as marketers? This is a good one. I'll try to be brief because I think we can have a longer conversation about this. We talked about the API diaspora being really vast and I would say that not all groups necessarily have this association of being labeled as a mono minority. It's really a generalization. And what's interesting is that in 2018, there was a Harvard Business Review article that described Asian Americans not as a mono minority, but as the forgotten minority. And the article pointed out that, that there was a diversity report from a top Silicon Valley tech company that lumped Asian Americans within larger groups and completely failed to address them at all. So, and when it came to inclusion also in leadership positions, Asian Americans were the least likely to be promoted to executive ranks, despite having a very large rep representation in the workforce. So um, I can actually just leave you with two thoughts, which is that that model minority term really is a stereotype. It's a stereotype of all, a subset of all the AAPI groups in the US, and it's a myth. So the data just does not support the model minority badge that, that we've been given. And also, I guess I would remind us that if we don't intentionally include a group, we will unintentionally exclude them. So that's why taking proactive steps to address diversity and inclusion in everything that we do is, is so critical. Thank you for that, Kelly, and for clarifying and, and demystifying some expressions that are in popular culture. Thank you, Kelly. Welcome. Let's now please go to Shiv Singh, Chief Marketing Officer at LendingTree, first and largest online marketplace for all forms of lending. My understanding is you have $30 billion in loans received and 100 million plus customers over your company's history. So a remarkable footprint there, Shiv. So tell me, complicity, interesting choice of words. Tell us why. Yes, well, firstly, thank you for having me on, Margaret. When, when I think of the word, I thought of complicity because this month is a reminder to me and a really important reminder of if we're not doing something, if we're not taking action ourselves, if we're not working in small ways and big ways to move the needle on understanding and awareness, by being passive, we are unfortunately being complicit. And when I think back to the last two years with the, with the tragic hate crimes, when I think back just to the last to last week, what happened, and when, when I look 
forward to the fact that I have a 13 and 11 year old son. You know, I increasingly believe that it's, it's not enough to be quiet. It's not enough to think that it's a different group that's affected. It has nothing to do with me personally. And I'm, I'm, I'm being more and more sensitive to the fact that I need to do more both in my personal life and in my professional life. And if I don't, it's complicity with, with a certain status quo that's unfortunately serving our amazing, wonderful country in bad ways as we get deeper and deeper into what is tragically and increasingly violent culture war. So it's, I do believe we're in a difficult time. I do believe we all have a very important role to play. And I believe we, we can't sit back anymore. So Shiv, tell us about your journey and your heritage. Happy to share. So I'm sort of a global gypsy. That's a good way to describe it. When I was very small, I was in Hong Kong, spent a lot of time in India. My parents are Indian, did high school in Dubai in the United Arab Emirates, undergraduate, undergraduate in, in the Boston area, worked on the East Coast, worked in Europe, did grad school in London and eventually settled, you know, and I'm raising my family back in the Bay Area. And I share all of this because all my life I've been an outsider. Wherever I've been, I've, I've been an outsider. Even in India, I'm from a small minority religion. I'm, I'm a Sikh and I've gotten comfortable and at home and at peace with being, so to speak, an outsider. But as time has gone by, you know, I've also come to the conclusion that I have a voice that is important to share, that, you know, others can benefit from my experience and can galvanize me to do more. And that's, that's how I want to think about the future. But the last thing I'll mention along these lines, and, and I really appreciated Kelly and Richard's comments, because when we think about the Asian American community, yes, 22 million, 7% of the US population, but it's drawn from 61% of the world's population. And, and I think, you know, that's just incredible, you know, when we think about this month and what it's drawing from the, the different cultures, the different histories, the different relationships. India itself has, you know, 1.2 billion people, 30 official languages. It's as diverse, if not more diverse than Europe. So, you know, the only way forward is by truly embracing diversity and inclusivity in all its forms for everybody. And that's what I think is going to make America much, much stronger in the 21st century, our own businesses much more successful, and all of our own lives more fulfilling. And the world we leave for our children would be a better one. Shiv, thank you for sharing that story. In my experience hosting this programming, we celebrate those who have an outsider perspective. Over the years, I've identified that folks who bring an outsider perspective actually often have a significant amount of empathy and that makes them great marketeers. So I celebrate that. And it's a good cue for me to ask your question around what is Lending Tree doing and how do you think about as a marketer? You did indicate very elegantly at the onset the opportunity to do more. What's the current status of your marketing programming as it relates to AAPI? And what is the insight that informs that? Yeah, thank you for the question. So, so Margaret, you know, I'm, I'm only a couple of months in, but I, I leave a 
really amazing team of 160 marketers and communicators who, you know, what's really wonderful and exciting is, uh, in a sense, I'm not bringing something new to the table. They have always had those values and they push them forward. Given the fact that we are a company that serves all Americans and we know access to lending and to, to uh, finance is, can be a great equalizer or it can, on the inverse, also create great separation between communities and, and progress in the country. We're very sensitive to, one, how do we tell the story, our own story, our founder's story, but two, then also the story of what it means to be financially savvy, how we educate and inform people, and how do we do it in a way where it's receptive for everybody. It's not just in a particular stone or a language or with cues that make more sense for, for the majority community, but does for everybody. Uh, through our Lending Tree Foundation, we do incredible work in the community and it's predominantly around financial literacy. That's another big piece of it. But you know, more than, we, we all do the, the checkbox right things. More than that, what I want to emphasize and what my own personal learning and takeaway is, is among ourselves, we have to tell our own stories much more because that's when understanding takes place at a deeper level. And while in a similar fashion, I, I think uh, Rich mentioned this, it's not in my culture, it's not in my way of being to talk very much about myself. I'm realizing, and my, my wife helps me here, is I have to open up so much more, especially as a leader now and, and be that vulnerable, you know, joke about, what it means to be who I am and and share that view with everybody else so that they can see the world from uh, through my eyes as well. Rashiv, thank you. Thank you for sharing that story with us this morning. Let's now go to Alex, uh, CMO of Terminex. Alex, you're in Cleveland, and I believe your word was reflection. Please tell us why. Thanks, Margaret. I, boy, have I been thinking about it a lot lately. And I think I'll touch on two things. The first, that I've been reflecting on as I joined this panel was really around uh, my recent involvement as executive sponsor, the Asian American Pacific Islander Business Resource Group at Terminex. We call them BRGs instead of ERGs. And in engaging with the new leadership of this BRG, their excitement and enthusiasm for really doing something, making and uh, essentially rebooting the BRG to serve our community first and foremost be before we can make an impact and generate awareness for the rest of the company is really uh, meaningful to me and I'm excited about it. What I've been reflecting on is thinking back at the start of my career, there wasn't anything like ERGs or, or BRGs where I started. I was the sole, was one of two minorities in a sales office in Detroit in the automotive industry, the only uh, person of Asian descent. and. I felt alone. There was not a lot going on. I was back in Detroit uh, during a period where the uh, American automotive industry was floundering. And what we experienced was a lot of local uh, ethnic uh, Asian, anti-Asian hatred based on the Japanese at the time taking the blame for why Detroit was doing so poorly. And so I was subjected to, um, you know, some pretty uh, stressful situations and was once subject to just waiting for food at a Burger King and having somebody behind me wanting to recruit uh, people within the restaurant to take me out to the parking lot to, to beat me up. So I feel like today, you know, we've made some steps, we've got a lot more steps to make, but just having within the business environment, 
the ability to talk and have some shared experiences come together as a community is a luxury that I certainly didn't have. And I think that would be uh, meaningful. The second one I, I didn't expect to actually be reflecting on, but this past weekend, I attended my youngest daughter's college graduation and, you know, her brother and sister came in from both coasts. It was a little reunion, really happy time. And as we were crossing the street and the intersection on the way to the stadium, the uh, as we passed a car at the intersection, uh, a voice from the car yelled out, go back to China. And all of a sudden, the happiness bubble was burst. And, you know, my eldest daughter gave what she thought was an appropriate reply. Maybe it was. I said nothing. We kept walking to the stadium and I've just been in and out just thinking and being distracted should I have said something if I did what would it have been is there a way to build bridges in that situation is there a way to just not have this continue because it has been continuing and, and every day you wake up and there's something more about that and you know I'm just thinking about uh, you know what can we do as as we were hearing before you know if we're complicit if, if we don't do something so those are the two things I've been reflecting on um, as of late. Well, thank you for sharing those reflections with us. And I'm so sorry you had that experience. So let's talk about Terminex, a $2 billion, 90-year-old company. How do you think about honoring the community in your marketing? I recognize you operate in large respects locally in, in so many places. Yeah, thanks for asking. In the pest control industry, our product's not a product, it's a service, and that service is performed by people. So my priority, first and foremost, is our is to our teammates who actually conduct the services out in the field. And uh, we do operate, you know, in, at a local level. And so uh, to me, as we look at how we represent marketing and how we go to market, increasingly we're acknowledging that being able to showcase our teammates who actually perform the service is the way to showcase how good Terminix is as a company and that really the marketing is through what are you know showcasing the stories that that really uh, show the quality and the dedication of the service and expertise that our teammates provide to our customers and to do that and, and, and reflect the communities in which we live in. Now, we have a culture at Terminix we call ourselves the Terminix Nation and that's because we live and operate all across the U.S. and so our teammates represent so uh, geographically diverse and ethnically and diversity in all kinds of ways. And so we, uh, you know, we have to acknowledge that, you know, we reflect the communities we live in. And so that's where uh, we put our priority. Alex, I know you've had an extraordinary career across many CPG companies. What would you share with marketers listening today who want to engage the API community? What do we all need to know? The answer is, you know, my fellow marketers might say the same, you know, we, uh, we market and effective marketing is understanding your target audience. And if your target audience happens to be API or any other segment, the key is understanding and authenticity. My previous role at American Greetings, you know, we, are, we were in the business of connecting people with each other. And if that connection was not authentic, disingenuous, it just doesn't work. And so if you're not authentic in your marketing, you're likely not you know, engaging and appealing your audience, which really means bottom line is you're throwing media dollars away because they're just not paying attention to you. So Alex, what does it mean to be authentic in your marketing from your perspective? I think from my perspective is, you know, clearly if you have diversity within your marketing team who can represent, be the voice and the person in the room as you're developing, camp, whether it's campaigns or insights or, you know, core product or service offerings, 
I think having that diversity of thought and having somebody be able to raise their hand and say, hang on a second, this doesn't feel right. Because sometimes it is a, does it feel right or not thing. You can't really, you know, put it in a three-step process or, or having a structuring teams so that you uh, try to eliminate as much as possible blind spots and then using the insights and, you know, from either that individual or through really, really good consumer insights and learning to make sure that uh, we are connecting, being respectful uh, and mindful of the community in which we're, you know, essentially, you know, trying to persuade and ask for something. Marvelous. Thank you for that, Alex. Now we're going back to New York. Amy Leong, Global Head of Digital and Demand Gen at Bank of New York Mellon. You may not know this, friends, but Bank of New York Mellon is one of the three oldest banking corporations in the United States, established, I learned, in 1784 by Alexander Hamilton. So that's an extraordinarily important heritage that the bank maintains. Amy, your word was, did I get it correct? Momentum? Momentum, uh, yes. Yeah, please tell us why. And thank you, Margaret, for this um, very inspirational panel. And thanks for all the panelists so far. I've been really inspired by this conversation. So momentum comes to mind because while, you know, AAPI Heritage Month, it's really been around for a while, but I haven't really seen it widely celebrated until recently. And I do think a lot of that is propelled by some of, you know, the rise in the Asian hate crimes and just being a little bit more noticed. And I think, you know, to Kelly's point, sometimes we are the forgotten minority. And so the fact that we are having this panel discussion and that we are bringing up these issues makes me really optimistic that it's gaining traction and momentum and that we have more of a platform and a voice for all of us to discuss these issues and just the acknowledgement um, that we are not invisible. Amy, we live in New York City. How have Asian hate crimes hit close to home for you? So this is going to make me a little emotional. <laughs> so I, I live in New York City and I moved here when I, you know, about 20, maybe 20 years ago, because um, I grew up in a all white, non-diverse, 98% white background. And so I wanted a place that was diverse and vibrant for my kids. So I have three kids. I have a two-year-old, a five-year-old, and an eight-year-old. And over the course of the two years, I've seen my community broken because there's been so many hate crimes um, just out of the blue, right? So a father in the subway being beaten. And more recently, there was an Asian-American who was 40 years old. She was an FBA grad by the name of Michelle Goh, uh, and she was part of my cohort of friends. So I had friends who knew her and she was pushed off of the subway. And, and not everyone knows this, right? In New York City, I live and breathe it because I live here, but uh, it's not well known that this is happening in my beloved city. And so it's really hit close for home because I've never felt unsafe before in the city, just for how I look um, and who I am. But now, right, like I am scared if my parents come because I'm worried that uh, they'll get hurt. And I do think that, you know, brands have an obligation to sort of speak out and not only speak out, but to take action. So, for example, there was an incident on the subway near BNY Mellon. And uh, BNY Mellon took action. They um, started talking with Amex and they started talking with Goldman all within the financial district. 
and we're trying to think, figure out, you know, how could they give extra security to the subways near where we worked so that the employees could feel more safe? And, and that shows authenticity because you're taking action after an incident happened. And I think that this is what promotes inclusive storytelling because it starts with your employees, right? Your employees know that you care. And through that, that storytelling gets out to your clients and that storytelling goes out to the community. And that's, that's authentic storytelling. Yes, and, and thank you for sharing your perspective. It's extraordinarily gratifying and inspiring to listen, especially to the intergenerational aspects of this conversation. I know you're a young mom, and Alex is at a different stage in his career. So it's it's really beautiful hearing your optimism as well as as a fellow New Yorker. I also really appreciate the practical example of what Bank of New York Mellon is doing and your fellow financial services company. So thank you for sharing that. You know, let, let's spend a minute, Amy, on financial services. Why should inclusive storytelling matter to banks? It's about money, no? <laughs> it is about money. And I caveat the fact that you know, again, to Kelly's point, it's a diaspora. Of, it, we're not homogenous when it comes to um, AAPI, but when you think of just all employees, a CNBC, a CNBC survey, 80% of workers say they want to work for a, a company that values diversity. And a McKinsey study said that ethnically diverse companies are 36% more likely to outperform financially. And so when it comes to the banking industry and the financial industry, we care about outperformance. And so we should care about diversity when it comes to our workforce. And you had said yourself, you know, Asians are the fastest growing ethnic group with a higher than average median income and, you know, a higher than average graduate rate from college. And so it's a very attractive target market, especially for banks and the financial institutions for both attracting employees to come to the workforce and as customers and clients, especially as it comes to retail banking and wealth management. And, you know, Gartner did this study. And when we think about how do we attract the AAPI community, they said that the top two values that the AAPI group came up with was um, equality and justice. And so as you think about storytelling and, you know, the fabric of, of storytelling, being able to talk about equality and justice is very important to the community and that will help with with being inclusive. Anything else we need to know about the community? I know you've done such extensive research and thank you for sharing those statistics and that perspective from your own research. Yeah, so this isn't necessarily from the financial industry space, but I do have a friend and she works for Diageo and Diageo partnered with the Pan-Asian community to create a limited edition bubble tea inspired stout. And then they further made a donation to the community. And to me, that's authentic storytelling because they actually partnered with the community to understand what are some of the the, the likes and dislikes of, of their, their product. And, and they came up with that product. And then they also actioned upon it and, and also donated to the community. So that tied in very nicely to AAPI Heritage Month. And so to me, that's a great example of just inclusive storytelling using your product and, and your brand. And I bet it tastes yummy too. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I look, I look forward to trying that. Thank you, Amy. Now, patient as ever, Sunil at GoodRx, a, an application used by millions of Americans to save money on prescriptions. Sunil, you closed us out with an interesting word. I believe it was intense. 
Yes, yeah. indeed. As the son of uh, immigrants and I think a lot of people who are, of course, I'm from the Indian subcontinent, but, you know, our parents came to this country and I, I would say it's an understatement and I know it's a bit of a generalization that our parents are intense because uh, they wanted a better life for us in many ways. We'll say there is a, there is a strange paradox I find in that, which is I find that at least within the, just speaking for the Indian community, there is almost this combination of short-term and long-term thinking. What I mean to say is we're taught to pursue, you know, uh, gratifying careers that will, you know, compensate us well, et cetera. But yet when we're being raised, there's almost this strange local maximum that our parents optimize for, which is get into the best college possible study really, really hard and do really well. And that's always struck me as odd because it doesn't necessarily optimize for that long-term happiness aspect. But uh, that's why I use the word intense is because of the optimization for, for what I perceive to be a local maximum. Such an interesting tension. Thank you for highlighting that, Sunil. I haven't heard it expressed so eloquently in the past. So talk to us about GoodRx and your thinking around API month from the brand perspective. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think I've worked for, you know, many companies throughout my career and GoodRx is the most mission-driven company I've worked for without a doubt. And, um, you know, making healthcare affordable for all Americans is just something that this company lives and breeds every single day. And, um, you know, regardless of where you're from, et cetera. So, I just feel very proud to work with this team. I have many team members on this call. It's a, it's a, it's a good place to be. Anything you'd like to highlight vis-a-vis -vis healthcare and the community? Is there anything particularly important for marketers to understand? Undoubtedly, not within just our community, but really everywhere. The mental health crisis is becoming just atrocious in this country. And I would like to just spend a minute, you know, thinking, I mean, all of us over the past two years, I mean, just the, what we've been through with having to adjust our lives. If you have kids, you know, kind of getting them acclimated to the stay at home aspect of things, you know, for that first year, no one knew what they were doing. And now here we are, it's just like whiplash, you know, one day to the next it's, Hey, you know, we might have to lock down for a few months or, you know, whatever. And so it shows in the numbers, the, uh, you know, the number of people taking antidepressants, the number of people who are suffering from acute mental disorders is just, it's, it's astonishing and something I hope we work on, uh, not just within our community, but, but at large, but writ large. What do you think about the theme, inclusive storytelling, and how do you bring it to life in your marketing? Yeah, I think our company does a, does a really good job of trying to, you know, basically show the stories of different people going through the healthcare journey in really normalizing it and making, you know, making people feel like not only can they, you know, visit their primary care provider or their specialist and get affordable, you know, medicine if, if need be, but just bringing people back to, to the doctor. And just, I think a lot of people have ignored healthcare over the past couple of years, and we're really trying to focus and emphasize on, on getting people back to interact with our healthcare system, which can, which can help them with a great deal of of potential, you know, diseases or life-threatening ailments. And finally, Sunil, what advice would you give to our audience who want to honor API Month and the community? You know, it's not about a particular month. It's live it and breathe it daily. In my view, I really am grateful that, you know, 
we have an AAPI month, but this, these are values you should live by regardless of whether it's, you know, a given month for any community for that matter, in my opinion, but it is, you know, this is a great opportunity to, to showcase some of the community, but it's not, you know, it's not the, the end of it, <laughs> just like anything else. Well, thank you. Very important reminder, Sunil. So now we're going to go back around the order again for our commitments round question. And starting with Rich, here's the question. As a marketing leader, what is your commitment to inclusive storytelling and how will you measure success? Start off by saying, I think I'm very fortunate to be in a position where the commitment to diverse storytelling has really started from the top. It's really started from our CEO and it's really part of our culture and our mission. That makes it so much easier to get buy-in um, as a marketer. So that's what I would say uh, is the first piece. My biggest challenge probably is really around finding those stories because we probably lack the representation in certain areas where we want to. And it's not just for AAPI, but it could be for Hispanic heritage, African-American, Women's History Month, whatever it may be. The industry that I work in is probably largely underrepresented in those areas. And that's probably our, our biggest challenge uh, that we face both internally, even among our customers. Customer base tends to be a little bit more homogenous, but I still realize it's part of my job to go out there and to really make sure that when we do find those stories, that we really pull them up as high as that we, as we can, because it's all about everybody doing their part. My company can only move it so far, but I think collectively when we all put an emphasis and a spotlight on it, that's where we see the, the larger traction. And that's where I'll see, you know, the, the measurement of success. And, and just very briefly, the metrics would be rich. Thank you. Cause I did not cover that. I would say it's probably around internally employee satisfaction surveys, which we do market that as well as hiring is how I would probably place the, the actual metrics internally. Thank you for that, Rich. Kelly, same question, your commitment to inclusive storytelling and your success measures. Okay, well, I'd like to answer it from sort of the Discord perspective, which is inclusive storytelling really is a core part of our mission. And that is to create a place of belonging for everyone. So it's about how we show up in three ways, the makeup of our workforce, our company culture, and the communities that we serve. So in terms of our workforce or our people, it's having an equitable and inclusive hiring process. So for example, ensuring that we have a balanced candidate slate for every open role and diversity across the company at the leadership level. On the culture side, it's really leaning on our ERGs and their programming efforts to drive employee engagement. We also have, uh, we also developed a number of allyship and DEI training workshops to help foster that culture of inclusivity and belonging. And on the communities front, we've partnered with a number of nonprofits and social justice organizations that align with our company values to create employee giving opportunities and volunteering opportunities. So I'd emphasize it's still really early days in our journey to build inclusivity into everything that we do. And to me, success is not just about hitting a set of numbers, which of course we have goals against, but that there's an unwavering commitment and a mindset to learning and evolving that approach as we go. Great, thanks for that, Kelly. Shiv, next up. The, the way I think about inclusive storytelling and what we need to do is, I would say it's on a few different levels. So first, absolutely, as we 
tell the story about our brand and as we you know seek to persuade consumers to take specific actions we want to do it increasingly with more and more richer more inclusive stories quite simply but the exciting challenge is to do it in a way where it doesn't just resonate with one segment of the population or one community but embodies deep human truths that everyone relates to and everyone takes something away from and that's incredibly hard to do uh, but that's very much a goal and and the measures are all the usual marketing brand building acquisition and eventual business financial measures that's one part to it the second part is look i i do think we're in a very difficult time and we are in a culture war and you know the latest example in the corporate world is what disney's dealing with in in florida as an example i think it's on all of us as uh, marketing leaders to really keep thinking through and unpacking how can we thread that needle in terms of our personal professional and corporate responsibility to society to you know keep moving the country you know further in the right direction and to do it in a way that takes everyone along and doesn't create more division than there may already exist that's incredibly hard but i think it's it's something that we have to challenge ourselves with and keep moving forward in 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 that uh, direction and then the last thing i would say is it's all about learning from each other sharing our stories and learning and developing a deeper sense of the other perspective and margaret you touched upon this as well it's what my last book was about and just recognizing how much we don't know and asking the questions and my focus group is every single uber driver that gives me a ride it's it's like the best education in the world and we learn from each other so that's a, that might sound trite but in whatever hack we may have to move in that direction and learn more thank you shiv so alex the commitment to inclusive storytelling at terminex and how you will measure success yeah so again we're a we're a business that's uh, conducted for people by people and so really the stories that need to be told are the, every single of those micro small and large customer interactions and how uh, shining a light and telling and, you know show, showcasing how our people are performing this product and and generating trust and loyalty among their customers is really job one and we measure that uh, through feedback standard feedback loops whether it's survey nps or increasingly so, so online reviews if you look at the google reviews and it's a good one is typically a person that says john n did this like they name them by name right so it's a really human to human one-to-one interaction and those are the stories that matter thank you alex and now amy at bank of new york mellon yeah, so when we think of inclusive storytelling, we think about our employees and our clients and our communities. And one of the things that attracted me to BNY Mellon was that it was their strength and diversity pillar and the fact that 44% of new hires from 2021 were from underrepresented ethnic racial backgrounds. And so my commitments, I, I want to continue that. I want to hire diversely and to insert equal representation in our advertising and our marketing collateral because it matters to see other people that are similar to you around in, in, in marketing, right? And then to also actively participate in these community discussions, the BRGs, and advocate for those who are underrepresented. And I think success 
will be measured when others look at our company and, and they can say that we stand for diversity and inclusion. And others can talk about the impact that our inclusive storytelling has led to. Um, and I think that's you know what, what all companies and brands want in the end. Okay, Amy. And finally, Sunil at GoodRx. Yeah, thank you. You know, I'm going to get myself into trouble on this call, Margaret, because I have a lot of my uh, my team members on this call, and I'm like, I grew up in demand gen, so you know, I, I think of everything as as being measurable in marketing. But this is something I feel strongly that we should not measure. And so, what I mean by that is storytelling uh, and inclusive storytelling is part of the day to day fabric of of who we are. I I think of some of our our team members. Maya Flores and Serena Singh, who work on storytelling for gig economy workers. I think of Sarah Smiley and Ashley Park, who work on healthcare provider storytelling. Ron Robin and Greg, who are on the call, who who work on internal comms and storytelling for our teams that you know really focuses on on sort of inclusiveness. And so I'm just very proud of that our team kind of lives this day to day. And I will not measure them <laughs> on this or or hold them accountable. Thank you for that. And in thanking all of you on our panel, here are my reflections. A guiding principle of our programming is to amplify diverse voices. And today we were honored with insights and stories from friends in the AAPI community. Thank you, Sunil, Amy, Kelly, Shiv, Alex and Rich. Representation matters. And I know your stories will help others. As an immigrant to the United States, I'm curious about all diaspora, the origin stories, journeys, accomplishments, and complex relationships we have with our heritage and the United States. As a marketer, I'm equally fascinated by how brands engage people. Today's theme, inclusive storytelling, is central to both contexts. As we heard today, when we render invisible, reduce to tropes or otherwise stereotype API or any group, we rob people of their uniqueness and humanity. Conversely, when we engage and represent people and communities expansively and accurately, connection follows. As was said, nuance matters. In today's culturally polarized America, it seems to me that the tension for brand leaders is to relate to people as human beings, to rise above divisions, to tell stories that appeal to universal aspirations, to engage, not to alienate, to connect, and at the same time to do so while achieving business goals. For brand leaders, inclusive storytelling may well be the strategic marketing responsibility and challenge of our generation. The ultimate endeavor is to profitably build enduring brands that reflect and shape a more equitable and inclusive society and planet. To our speakers, thank you once again. We look forward to tracking your progress as you live out the commitments shared today. To our audience, thank you for joining us. 
I welcome you back on June 15th for our panel on Pride. Thank you to my co-producer, Alison Shiver, and today's team, Aaron Proud and Aisha Ewing, blog editor, Daniel Alonso, and designer, Gisem Garatis, and our entire Siegel and Gale team. And a reminder that you can listen to and share all our previous CMO roundtables by following How CMOs Commit wherever you enjoy podcasts. All that remains is for me to thank you on behalf of everyone at Siegel and Gale and wish you a happy API month. Thank you. Thank you for joining How CMOs Commit. You've heard the strategic insights and professional commitments of top brand builders from around the world. I hope you also enjoyed my reflections on how this conversation is relevant to all marketers. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcast or your favorite podcast app. And please rate, review, and share this podcast. Until next time, this is how CMOs commit.